I feel like I got a flash forward lesson in economics, which was my worst subject ever growing up. And it's it's just important to pay attention to all those things, especially as a creative. Like I identify very much as, oh, I want to be the creative, you know, but you do have to force yourself to wear those hats and to understand the numbers and really, really audit yourself, especially in the beginning as you're going like, is this working? Are we getting a return here? Is this cost efficient? You know, and like you constantly have to do those checks and balances throughout all the while developing, (laughs) developing and creating and, you know, wanting to communicate the message. Cheval is the co-founder and chief inspiration officer of She Is Cheval, a luxury footwear and accessories brand that was created out of chaos, creativity, and camaraderie. Formerly a wedding apparel designer, Cheval lost the rights to her name in a one-sided employment contract with her former employer. So in 2022, Cheval rebranded herself personally and professionally to create a new identity under which she can now express herself and her designs creatively. Today, she uses her story to help support resources to protect the interest of young women and creatives during the formative years of their career. Get ready to hear Cheval's entrepreneurial journey and her biggest learning lessons. Coming up, Cheval shares her shocking story and why she had to change her name. You'll hear the advice she shares to all entrepreneurs to protect themselves. Her advice for starting an e-commerce business. And finally, why Cheval started her foundation and how you can start a foundation of your own. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Cheval, I am so thrilled to finally sit down with you and have this conversation. It has been several years since your new journey started based on, I would say, a series of unfortunate things that happen that you have now turned into something magical and beautiful as you always have. And I just want to thank you for being here and being open and vulnerable to share everything that you've been through to help other entrepreneurs in our community. So thank you in advance. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. And you are so easy to talk to. So I love that we're doing this again and feels full circle in a way. Yes. And for our listeners, maybe some of our new listeners, Cheval was on our podcast back in the early days when we first started. I think you were one of our like some one of our very first episodes and we recorded in person in New York City before <laughs> Courtney and I moved to Florida and started doing everything remote. And the topic of our conversation when we first connected was around the business that you were involved in at that time, selling bridal dresses. And now life has changed. Business has changed. Can you tell me the story? You know, what exactly happened? Yeah, it's a pretty massive pivot. (laughs) I'll call it that. But I was a wedding dress designer and that was always my biggest dream. And I was offered a 
employment contract at 25 years old and it was for a head designer position and my name was being used for the collection. And so I needed to give the right for my name to be trademarked. And I signed it without uh, seeking legal advice or counsel, did what I thought was right. And then um, went on to, you know, fulfill my dreams and design wedding dresses for almost 10 years. And during that time, I took on a lot of responsibilities and, you know, just wanted to grow and blossom as much as I could. But I felt like I was taking on roles and responsibilities that very much felt outside of the role of a designer. And so when my long-term contract was coming to an end, I really sought to renegotiate and hopefully, you know, realign some of the circumstances that didn't exist at the time of signing and make sure everything was clear. And I was met with a pretty unique delta in what my former employer's expectations were and what I was looking for. And long story short, it resulted in a them suing me in a federal court. Uh, <laughs> and it was over, you know, the right to my name, among other things. Uh, what I always thought was my personal social media account became, um, that ownership came into question. And it basically has now resulted in a preliminary injunction and a provision in which I cannot identify as a designer to the trade in which my former employer competes for a period of five years. So it's basically like a non-compete. And then I also cannot use my name even to publicly identify on social media or in any business or commerce. So that original contract is really being enforced and interpreted in ways that I never imagined, but it's also kind of presented a whole new landscape for myself and okay, well, <laughs> I have to accept the consequences and respect the authorities that be, you know, especially in a, a federal court and try to move on with my life somehow. So I've changed my name publicly. And then I've also changed my chosen trade. <laughs> wow. It's so hard when you go back and think of like the decisions we make in our, you know, teens, you know, what college are we going to go to making these big decisions? And then in our early 20s, you know, signing our, you know, going to work for an employer. And, you know, you were given this huge opportunity at such a young age, but not having that, you know, background in, in business and life experience, just not knowing the impact that that one decision signing that one piece of paper could have on the rest of your life. Yes, it's very hard to like foresee, you know, and I think ultimately we all want the best and we want to hope for the best and do our best. But a lot of times there are circumstances beyond our control. And in my case, you know, it it's I've kind of gotten to the place now. Everything is really marinated, you know, and I've kind of gotten used to the fact that this is my reality now. It's a new reality. And, you know, like moving forward and staying focused on this pivot and reinvention has been so important. But I also feel a strong sense of ownership in my own mistakes, too, which has given me a form of empowerment in a lot of ways. It's that I have to own what had happened, you know, and that this is the consequence of that. And is there a form of education and something I can do to give back and offer a solution for people? Because I think that's something that a lot of people that have followed the story are really looking for like, okay, well, what'd you do about this? You know, mm-hmm. what's next kind yeah. of thing. What are the biggest learning lessons from everything you have been through from that experience? I think 
learning is evolving, you know, and we don't know what we don't know. And to your point, when we're younger and we're hungry for these opportunities, there's always this tendency to feel like you have to compromise more or that you need to let somebody else define your value or your worth. And we also, I think, look to authority to kind of give us direction at times. And I think my biggest lesson is doing my own research and due diligence and not being afraid to ask for things in writing and, you know, not contest and and be confrontational, but to really push back on things I don't understand. And if reassurance and more clarity is needed, you know, if something is being said, but it's not being written on paper, or you're in a scenario where there's an expectation for you to have to do something, you know, X to get to Y, and it is requiring you to do a whole lot. I think you owe it to yourself to question it and to do your due diligence Mm -hmm. and research, not just trust what people are saying or just be a reckless optimist, which I definitely identified with years ago. No, I'm the same. I'm always like, there's always a solution. You have to get to a solution to everything. But look, sometimes, especially with the, you know, the legal system, there's a yes or a no, and there's a decision that's made. And all you can do is, is move forward. And you have certainly showed that even through everything that you've been through. And I can't even imagine, you know, having to change my own name because of, you know, someone else and yes, something that you signed, but still it's like, it's your identity. How did you get through some of those hardest and darkest moments? I've definitely looked to other forms of artistry and performance. And in having to change the way I identify, especially with my name, I looked at how some of these brilliant artists like Prince, you know, have had to come up with different ways to express themselves and, you know, figure out their own way forward. Not that I would ever compare myself to Prince, the God, you know. You should. There's no reason not to compare yourself to the greats because you are one. <laughs> You're so sweet. But yeah, it it really was like, okay, this is a new chapter. This is a reinvention and it's a new a persona to kind of step into and be creative with. And in choosing a name, Cheval, I was simply excited by the word itself. It made me feel glamorous, but also creative and a little bit playful. And it was, it brought me back to some of these really character building moments when I was young, because I think so much of my life in this particular lawsuit has been confined to a period of time and it's mm-hmm. it's almost been trying to pull me back and tether me to this past that I feel like I've actually really outgrown. And what I've done is I've kind of hop skipped over that period and gone back to like the fundamentals of who I was as a child growing up and my education and my skill set and the things that really put me on the path of where I'm at that have actually been a lot more profound than what that last chapter was. You know, Mm -hmm. and so it's really allowed me to re-identify and reconnect to who I am, despite the name, because as much as you tie your identity to your name, who you are is defined by you. It can be way beyond the name. It can be the fact that you like walking into a room and making people feel better than they did before you were there. You know, it can be that what is your gift in life? And maybe it has nothing to do with your job or your achievements. Maybe it's how 
good at hugging you are, you know, like what are these things that, that make you who you are? And so that was a fun exercise for me because I love nostalgia, not in the sense of glorifying the Mm. past, but in figuring out why your footprint is artistry and like how you can reinvent that because it's not abandoning oneself. It's really about like holding onto those little things and expressing them in a way that moves you forward. You were just so wise with everything that you just shared. Everything you just shared, was that just in you and you figured that out yourself? Did you work with other people as you were going through this process to to figure out how to get to this path and the the being that you are now and everything you've just shared and discovered? Oh my gosh, that's really sweet of you to say. Um, And yeah, I guess I definitely didn't always have this perspective. I think that mm-hmm. being challenged and having that sense of self-challenge was what kind of led me on the path of like rediscovery and and just holding on to myself, you know, in some way. Mm-hmm. But I think the community support has been really helpful and reassurance from people and refining the exposure to certain people in my life that I know have mm-hmm. had my back or have my best intentions and being able to have a big trust fall with those relationships. Because, you know, when you when you go through something like what I went through, and I think a lot of people that experience a setback or even go through like a health condition or something where they're just mm-hmm. really challenged, there's a part of you that feels like it's kind of dying or slipping away. And it's nice to have reassurance from people and to feel like you're not in it alone not that the person you're relying on has to go through what you're going through to understand it or empathize, but that they like remind you of things in who you are and um, like just bring you to a place of joy and that you can create from. So Instagram in particular, like social media has really saved me in a lot of ways because all those people that I had been interacting with on a previous account did come over with me and did like champion Mm -hmm. for let's start new and we're here for you. And like, that was, that gave me a good amount of responsibility, but also just something so worth pursuing. So I think it was a, definitely a group effort (laughs) to answer your original question. I'll say like social media is the best place when used for good. And when you have a community around you that is there for you and wants to support you and an outlet for you that you can share and you can share your story and help others learn from what you've went through. There's nothing more, more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was pretty incredible. When, when did you make the decision to want to start your foundation? So actually the foundation was something I wanted to do even before rebranding and getting back out there and thinking of like, how can I make money? You know, like I just knew that there was a problem. And there was a conversation that I felt like was being silenced in a lot of ways. And not just in my situation, but across the board in that, like with ownership and IP and trademark and creatives continually feeling like their future is being jeopardized by either one-sided contracts or, you know, you see it a lot in the record industry and you see it even on YouTube channels now and in, in every kind of creative profession and partnerships in business. You know, it's like how there has to be a way to create an even playing field and 
mm-hmm. provide resources, education, and confidence to these situations. Because I think when you don't know what path or you don't understand certain things, it leaves you vulnerable. And it also creates a, a gap in which you might be setting precedents that you didn't even know exist and that later on can really hurt you. And contract law is so nuanced, you know, like I really considered myself a very intelligent person, you know, at 25 when I had signed my contract years ago. And even so, I really put a lot of trust and faith in the process and in that optimism. And I think it's really, really important to equip young people with education in case law and what can happen and mm-hmm. what can be interpreted. And I think that starts with legal teams, you know, bringing in somebody to advocate for you or to be an advocate. And then also, um, you know, doing again, your research and, and learning about who you are signing up to work with, you know, and, and making sure it is the right fit for you too. But the foundation is really what what made me realize there needs to be a solution, there needs to be resources, there needs to be guidance. And a lot of times these financial deterrents are what prevent you from wanting to go seek a lawyer. So, and who knows with AI now, I mean, I think there could be a lot more access to learning how to protect yourself. I think it's very encouraging that that is becoming a huge tool for business building. But yeah, I mean, the foundation came like almost immediately that like, okay, what happened to me that there, there's a problem there. Let's see how we can fix it. And um, it starts with the conversation and also building out the framework of curriculum. So that's yeah. kind of what we're doing right now. And also getting a Rolodex going of big law firms that have pro bono hours they have to fulfill every year. And, you know, lawyers have seen it all. And so I think in my case, it's been a very interesting journey to follow because there's not a whole lot of case law in mm-hmm. some of the things going on in my case. So I think that's where people want to do some roll their sleeves and do some new work there. So many questions for you now <laughs> and so much to unpack. And my first thought is, because I know we have founders in our community and just a lot of people in general, you know, want to start nonprofits or want to start foundations. What is the process? What is the behind the scenes of like setting up an actual foundation like? Oh, goodness. There is a lot of paperwork involved and applications. And there are services that can help you get verified as a 501c3. And some of them can be pretty costly. But again, like this is a territory where I think a lot of people see starting a nonprofit as a really sexy thing. Like, oh, you know, like I'm going to do good and I'm going to, I'll have my business, but then I'll also have this arm in which I'm giving back. And that's obviously something that was attractive in saying, okay, well, we're putting a product out there. It's creative, it's exciting, but we also want to empower other small businesses and we want to make sure that our mistakes are being documented so that people can learn Mm -hmm. from that. And I never anticipated how much work would go into actually starting a foundation. It's very similar to starting a small business because you need protection on it. (laughs) There's something called an orange tape where you have to really understand how you're separating your non-for-profit business from your profit business. And it really deserves its entirely different platform, its own like world, you know? So we keep things very separate, but it almost feels like I'm running two businesses right now. And Mm -hmm. with the nonprofit too, you, 
you still have to make money for the nonprofit so that you're able to operate and put on events and, you know, supply either workforce or labor or help in getting volunteers and and that kind of stuff. So I really do see it as just like a whole nother business in itself. But I think the nuance Mm -hmm. in it is probably the fact that there isn't overhead (laughs) and like there isn't like inventory management as much unless you're doing like products and services through your nonprofit. But that has been kind of refreshing because it's more service-based. It's more Mm education-based, which is also exciting, preparing content and all that. But yeah, I mean, you could spend a whole (laughs) whole episode in itself just going through like the checklist of what you need to do to get verified as a nonprofit or a 501c3. So definitely a lot of work. Is there a place that you went to to like find the resources for yourself when you went to set it up? Yes, actually, you know, I don't have the name off the top of my head, but what we can do is I'll get it after the episode and you can put it in the show notes. I would absolutely recommend them. And they, you know, really helped us kind of lay out the steps and the timeline for everything. And also like one of the other bits you have to keep in mind for fundraising is state law and getting your nonprofit registered in those states, because there is definitely a lot of regulation and stuff that you have to get ahead of. You can't just go, you know, plan a big event and say, okay, come to the event and donate money. You know, it's like, it's, there's so much more that goes into it and making sure that you're, you're doing everything by the law and protecting yourself as you go. So yeah, I highly recommend looking into those services and taking your time with it. Do not rush a nonprofit. It actually totally. took us no, thank- two years to do. So longer than it did to start the business. <laughs> <laughs> Which we're going to talk about in just, just yeah. a moment. But I'm, I'm glad you shared that because again, you know, so many of us, like I think all the time I would love to, you know, start a non-for-profit one day. But I know just from talking to people, like how much work behind the scenes is involved in doing that. And like you said, it took two years. You really have to be able to put the time into it and effort and get the right resources. So you're not trying to figure everything out. And it's why we have conversations like these to be able to learn from each other and find the the resources like the companies (laughs) that you tell, spill all the secrets. How how did you do it? So I want to talk about now your new business that you launched this past year. Launching your business from the ground up, I assume it's had to have been a bit different than when you were launching at your previous company because they were running the back end of the business. And now you're doing everything from scratch, building from absolutely nothing, starting in a category that you hadn't designed in. What was the process to get into a whole new category and launch this business from the ground up? I think strategy (laughs) is number one. It's just having a plan and not just winging it every step of the way. I do believe in putting yourself out there and that progress is better than perfection. And you can get really hung up on the details and then you end up like pushing the deadlines and stuff, but it's good to give yourself deadlines. It's good to have a strategy. And what makes it super easy, I will say, is that when you do have a purpose and a mission behind it, and you're really clear Mm -hmm on what your business is and what you are communicating. And whether that is a service or a product, having that clarity is going to make every single step much easier. And a lot of formula does go into small business 
management and startups, you know, just in terms of like how you're protecting your business, registering trademarks, you know, making sure you've got the capital in the right places and you're allocating and you're forecasting and you're doing your market research. But the number one thing for us is the psychology of it. It in marketing, I think Steve Jobs said this, but marketing is all about values, right? And it's about communicating a message and it is about psychology. And I think really smart brands always bring it back to that in how Mm -hmm. are we connecting with our consumers and with our clients and are we aligned in our values? And I think for me, I already had such a love and affection for the community that I once got to dazzle and create for that I felt like I had a vendetta and a purpose and that I was going to make up for lost time. And because of that, you know, my core mission was I'm going to bring joy back to the women that inspire me every day. And like, Mm -hmm. that's a blessing to have that clarity and to have that mission, but then to also know how to communicate it and make sure that you're aligned in the way you're doing that is important. So for me, that was kind of the bulk of it. I know there's not like tangible takeaways in that, but I think it made the process in starting a small business much easier. And then you break it out into like, the micro needs, All right? Like understanding the PL statements and the finances and where things go and accounting and inventory management. I would say the biggest difference in going into an e-commerce brand and something that, you know, you're investing in size runs, you're investing in stock and in inventory. Mm. Everything is about troubleshooting and trying to be conservative with your numbers while also meeting a very important demand. So mm-hmm. I feel like I got a flash forward lesson in economics, which was my worst subject ever growing up. And it's, it's just important to pay attention to all those things, especially as a creative, like I identify very much as, oh, I want to be the creative, you know, but you do have to force yourself to wear those hats and to understand the numbers and really, really audit yourself, especially in the beginning as you're going like, is this working? Are we getting a return here? Is this cost efficient? You know, and like you constantly have to do those checks and balances throughout all the while developing, (laughs) developing and creating and, you know, wanting to communicate the message. No, that's super helpful to hear. I realized I didn't even ask you, when did you decide, okay, I'm going to focus on shoes. This is what I'm going to launch. Was there like a particular moment when you realized like, you could design shoes. I mean, you're so talented. I mean, just watching you for years, like design everything on Instagram and posting everything. I'm like, you could probably design absolutely anything. So how did you land on shoes? Oh my gosh. Well, I, um, you know, I think during, there was like a two year window where I, I really did feel like I was almost in this state of purgatory because I was still technically under a contract of some sort like my expiration date on the contract was August of 2022. And leading up to that, you know, being in this lawsuit, which I'm still in, I was under the impression I'd be able to go back into bridal so long as I didn't use my name. And then when I found out very shortly before that deadline that I was not going to be able to go back into bridal, it kind of threw me into a bit of a tailspin where I had to gather myself, you know, and I had to be like, let's, brainstorm. Let's figure out what else we can do and let's exercise the creative muscle 
in other products. And so I did go through a big period of experimentation, you know, like, what can I do? What can I provide for? Like, what am I going to be excited about designing next? And also, Hmm. where am I going to have credibility? Because I think in today's society, you know, you see that every single, you know, big celebrity has a skincare brand. Everybody, you know, wants to go into beauty and there's actresses and and singers, but then they also want to go into product lines. And like, I totally get it because it's like, you want to expand your vision. You know, I get it. But I also feel like because at the core, I grew up in design and identified that way, I put this label on myself of like, I need to be good at it. Like I need to like give myself time to learn this craft and and educate myself. And I really doubled down on dress design my whole life, you know, like that was my bread and butter. And so to do something like shoemaking, I was really hesitant at first because I know that there is a lot of artistry and education that goes into like making shoes and learning that. So I didn't really jump right in and be like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I I had like a period of time where I experimented. And I think what drew me to shoes is that it felt like a sentimental uh, expression, which is something that I loved about my former life <laughs> is that it's a, it's a sentimental purchase. It's very emotional. And so for, with me, you know, trailblazing a new path and like walking against the grain or running against the grain, you know, I, I was like, I love that shoes kind of are a symbol of the steps forward and Mm -hmm. everybody Mm -hmm. has their own journey and they walk their own path, you know, or, or they wheel their own path, you know, whatever it is. I feel like there was a lot I could say there and I knew I was going to be making mistakes and that I would be learning as I go. But yeah, that's what drew me to shoes. And it felt very safe in that it's completely non-competitive. It's something of its own excitement. So yeah, we're, we're excited to see where it goes, but I'm also open to all these other accessory categories and things. Um, now that I have a little more confidence in product development in a new territory, it's given me some oomph. So it's exciting. I never imagined I'd be here. <laughs> right? Yeah. You never, yeah. you never know what's going to happen, but when you're open to new possibilities and for you, when you have this extraordinary talent and mindset, you can you can do absolutely anything. So I was so happy I finally got to see the shoes live in person when we when I came over to your event last week. It's just so incredible. And Molly's still talking about mommy, I want the pink shoe. And I'm like, I don't think she has little kid shoes just yet. But uh, we'll, we'll work on it. <laughs> I'd love to do that. That was such a treat to see you both. And yeah, it's uh, been great to do these little pop ups because having an e commerce brand is really tough for anything that requires sizing and fit. And a shoe is not something you tailor after the fact, you know, you can't like really Mm -hmm. customize it to the foot. So there's a lot uh, more technicality that goes into learning the size runs and how women fit into shoes and how they like get to feel. So having those in-person events is great for feedback and just trying them on, you know, for size. (laughs) I love it. I love all of your uh, puns, analogies, all the, uh, all the fun stuff on, with shoes. So that's Oh yeah, really I got some shoe puns now in my back pocket. I know, they're, all, they're good. I love them. I love them. I love them. <laughs> Up next, you'll hear about the important qualities Cheval was looking for in her next business partners. 
Now, Cheval, you have a business partner in this business. Can you share, you know, more about your partner, how that happened and how you formed that partnership? Yes. So I have two women that have been helping me almost from the beginning. And one in particular, actually, I've had the pleasure of working with for over a decade. And we have a very solid friendship and level of respect that I am just so grateful for. And she is also very much from the wedding dress world. So for us, we jumped both feet in like learning something new. And um, we also have another co-founder who has a private equity background, which has been a nice sprinkling of like a multifaceted skill set, you know, so it's been great to work with women that I, I really admire and that we all share a very common mission and and again, value in what we do want this company to feel like. And we're a small team, but I think at the core, we knew that this partnership had to be built on integrity and that, uh, you know, with every scenario or agreement, there is a level of good faith, but I think it goes deeper than that. I think there is a real strong uh, constitution there that has to be aligned. And I'm lucky that I found it with these two women. And um, it's something that we look for in anyone that we bring into the business, you know, and it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what that is. But I think trusting your intuition goes a long mm-hmm. way and not fighting back when you feel like you need to have those difficult conversations and be very transparent and honest with people. So that's worked really well for us and and process of, of you know, elimination and learning from your mistakes. Yes. All we could do is learn from your mistakes. Courtney and I call our learning lessons, write them down and then share them with others. So, so we don't all repeat them, but... Yeah. It is not oh, rinse and repeat. That's not the formula. It is rinse and reinvent, you know, like. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. I could, you could just sit here and spew off all of your uh, puns and, and fun things that you've learned because I feel like you are just a genius, not only genius designer, but marketer too. And the the things that you come up with and the na- your, the, how you name things. And I don't know oh, if anyone's not following you, you on Instagram. You need to head over to the show notes right now and make sure you tap in and follow Cheval because it's just, it's so fun to just watch how you create. Thank you. So nice of you to say. It brings me a lot of fulfillment for sure. And I just definitely don't want to take it for granted uh, given my path and, uh, you know, what some would call a pretty big fall. (laughs) But yeah, it's picking yourself back up and also staying creative and playful and a, having a sense of humor, I think is important, especially in business. It, it is keeping it light where you can and responsible optimism, we call it now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how did you figure out how you were going to fund the business? Oh yeah. So capital, whew, my goodness, I learned a lot in starting from nothing and from scratch and knowing where we needed to allocate things. And I would say one of the biggest mistakes is rushing, at least in this, you know, startup business is that we were, we were so excited to get out there and we made very fast, quick decisions, especially with respect to capital. And I learned that you really cannot trust what people say. (laughs) You have to, you have to see it in writing and you have to have reassurance and you need to double 
check and double cross everything when it comes to somebody forecasting your business, when it comes to somebody saying that this is what the return should be, you know, and just really, really investing in due diligence there um, because we did spend some money that just did not return, especially in PR and in warehousing and hidden fees and things like that, just being new to an e-commerce business in general, you know? So unfortunately, a lot of that you do learn through experience. Like those are things that a lot of people don't Mm. share about business building. Like they'll tell you what to do, but a lot of times they won't tell you what they did that just really was, you know, uh, throwing your money down a black hole. <laughs> like, and what I would well, say that's is... that's why we have this pod... This is yeah. <laughs> why we have this podcast to share all of those so everyone can learn. So yeah, we'll talk about all the things you did really well because you're doing a lot of things really well. But now's the time. Share all of your learning lessons from the launch of the business. Uh, maybe some of the mistakes you made that founders should try to yeah. avoid. Well, definitely. I'll start with warehousing because... I think there's a tendency to think we need to have a 3PL or a fulfillment center and, you know, we need to onboard early and get it going. And a lot of times what is proposed and what the capabilities are of the pick, pack and ship and the way the mechanics of the warehousing runs is like the misdirection. It's like, yes, we provide these services, but if you're not moving certain products, they will actually charge you a storage fee. And it ends up being even more expensive. So like for us, if we had shoes that we weren't going to debut right away, but they were coming over and getting onboarded into the warehouse system, they were, we were getting charged for it just being stored there and an expensive amount, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, like we would have shipped it to my house or something, you know, just for free to keep it there as opposed to waiting for that holiday debut, you know, and little things like that, that you just like, I would have never known that, you know, never having run an e-commerce business or worked with a fulfillment center. And then I would say number two was PR because when you think about bootstrap marketing, you get limited on time, you know, and I think there's nothing better than bootstrap marketing and being accessible and being the person that's out there actually selling the product. Because if you have influence and credibility, you know, that connection is so important. And I think people trust you because when you're selling it, you really care. Like it's from you, you know, but you're just so limited on time. And so like, I get the idea of wanting to expand your bandwidth when it comes to cost-efficient marketing. But if you don't understand how the ROAS works and how there's ebbs and flows in the digital advertising model, like right now the return is this percent and two days ago it was this percent and like not knowing like, okay, right now we're going to double down on our money. It's almost like gambling in a lot of ways with your no, business. It is. It, like, I talk about this all the time. You have better odds than blackjack. I say this now all the time. Running a business, you have better odds than blackjack because like you are in control. Yes. But so much of it is gambling, especially with digital, even because some things can work today. They might not work tomorrow when the algorithm changes or yeah. your, you know, ads have exhausted. Yeah. And you're it's at the gamble. mercy of the algorithm. And yes, there is a pay to play model now. But even in the pay to play, there are elements of it that are hard to quantify. And a lot mm. of times you might be thinking, oh, we're getting visibility. We're getting a click through rate, you know, but is the person that's looking at your product actually acting on your call? You know, your call to action, like, are they actually acting on it? You know, and 
we've learned a lot about the importance of email marketing and why email is actually a very precious place to monitor and nurture and show up in terms of customer mm-hmm. service. Whereas like on Instagram, the good old days are so gone and it, it hurts my heart a lot of times because I just loved Instagram from day one and how you could be accessible and connect with people, but it's so different now and who's seeing your reels and who's seeing your stuff. And I feel like a lot of times we're retargeting the exact same people with the same stuff, but then you're also realizing that only like 2% of your following actually sees what you're putting out. So then you're like, Oh, I don't know, you know, and then you want to get new visibility and new eyes. And so then you think of other platforms like TikTok and YouTube and having a podcast and it's exhausting. But one of the things going back to PR that I felt like I I really needed in the beginning is that, okay, we're doing this big launch. We're coming out. We're going to have a big launch party. We want to have bells and whistles and all this stuff and celebrities there. And like, you know, we had big dreams for that. And it really, in my mind, was not worth the large investment it cost. And that's always a bit painful when it when it feels like, oh my gosh, we could have put this money right here and it would have been so different, you know? But I think too, it's like, it's part of the beauty of business building. It's like having these big mistakes and these moments to learn from. And like I said, learning from your mistakes is the best of it. Like as long as you're learning from them and you're not doing it again, <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> not repeating them, yes. Yeah. Coming up, you'll hear about the business model that Cheval is doubling down on. What marketing strategies have been working recently? And also when you're selling a product that someone is a certain size and someone hasn't tried it on or experienced the product, is it harder? Have you found it's a lot harder to sell online versus I know you're doing pop-ups now. Like, is that working better for you? Pop-ups are very helpful for feedback. I've had the real privilege actually of being connected with some incredible shoe designers and makers and businesses out there that I received some pretty profound feedback on in terms of fit and quality. And we are working with a father-daughter duo that have been making specialty shoes for 30 years. And so We really are proud of our manufacturing and our development process, but I'm trying to think. It's interesting because with size runs, again, you cannot alter and tailor a shoe after the fact, which is like, honestly, something I took for granted in dress wear because all the hard work came after the fact. And it was usually put on the stores because they have to deal with the alterations and Mm -hmm. all that. And it's, it's fit to the girl, you know, that you don't need to fit into the dress. The dress yeah. needs to fit you. But in shoes, you kind of are limited. And the foot is, is the anatomy of a foot. Oh my goodness. It is so important to think about in terms of widths and how somebody fits mm-hmm. narrow or the length. And there is not some one size fits all. And yeah, you could go into a model where you're doing more adjustability in your shoes, like with straps and Velcros and things like that. But it's been a learning process. And once you have a little bit of communication and consistency and fit, it's nice to just kind of feel like you have an identity there 
of like how your shoes fit. And we're, we're getting there. Mm -hmm. You know, we've only been out for nine months at this point. And so like the first season feedback has been so important. The pop-ups have been great for that, but we're, we're fitting into our molds, you know, we're getting there, you know, and, and that's not something we really could have put a a ton of extra time into because you learn who your girl is and what she's looking for and where you do need to offer with extra widths or where you do need to, create some kind of adjustability. So yeah, it's very nuanced with shoes. It's very difficult, but you know, we're definitely up for the challenge and we're going to be probably expanding our product offerings into things that don't require fit (laughs) like handbags, (laughs) stuff like that. Learning lesson, right? (laughs) Just pick, pick the color, not the size. (laughs) Yep. 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 But she'll be fun. But, um, I've loved, I've loved shoes. So it's been wonderful to be a part of this industry. Well, I hope you ultimately go into little girl shoes, but you'll have to keep me posted on that. I have a little uh, model for you. She or little shoe, shoe uh, you, she could try them on, right? If that's not a reason, I don't know one because uh, yeah, that would be so much fun. <laughs> what are you most excited for that you have coming up? I am most excited, like in general, like in business or just in life. <laughs> I feel like it's totally different things. Either, both, <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> I'm super excited right now in life that my fiance Conrad and I have kind of turned the page on our life because when we met, we were in such different places in terms of like our careers. And, you know, we were both really gravitating toward the influencer world and he was heavily involved in the fitness industry and we started a podcast together. And now, you know, flash forward, we've been together five years we are, I'm so proud of our growth and I'm so excited for our future together. We, we just moved into a new place and it's the first time we've, we've signed like a long-term lease. And we like, there's just a lot of little personal developments that have been exciting and someday we will get married. So that's always exciting to think about and be giddy for one day. But in terms of like our business, I think what I'm most excited about is to feel like we're really growing and that's just something paralleled in life that I think is important when it feels like you're making progress and that you're learning. That is something that it ignites all three of us as co-founders that there's a lot of opportunity out there. And I think with our foundation, the ability to be able to give the answers and give back just has been really fulfilling. It's been really fulfilling to spill some mm-hmm. secrets and approach business and nonprofit work from a a mindset of abundance and wanting more women to feel like they can do this and they can step into it and that there are going to be mistakes and it's going to be scary, but just like, I hope they feel encouraged to do that for themselves. If that's a big dream for theirs. (laughs) It's so incredible. All you've accomplished in really a short amount of time over the past few years since, since everything happened and it's just so inspiring and you are definitely leaving an incredible mark and legacy on this world just in how you handled what happened to you and how you're giving back and you've shown the world how you can reinvent yourself and create something oh, new and just continue so to help others. It's it's truly inspiring. And I feel so lucky to know you and, and call you, you a friend and just so, so grateful that you're doing so well. And now you, we live so close to each other. So, I know. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm so I'm back at you. Like feeling is completely mutual and it's so wonderful to still have our friendship, but because it's, it's been years, it has been years. 
Um, and it's just, it's wonderful just to see people in your life growing alongside and, and doing incredible things that makes you feel like you can do it too, you know, and all that you've done. It's incredible. Your community of entrepreneurs is, um, it's just so exciting to be a part of it. And I just, I feel really good, like being in your world, like your, your community of women. Like, I just feel good about myself when I'm there. And it's, it's nice to have that just both sense of belonging. It's your community. So I always <laughs> tell people, I'm like, yes, Courtney and I, you know, created and set up the foundation of it to bring everyone together. But it's not about us. It's about you. It's about everyone. And really just that feeling and bringing everyone together. Because, you know, we say it all the time, like there's enough business to go around for yes. everyone. And we can all learn yes. from each other. And there's lots of designers and shoe designers and accessories designers. And there's millions of people in this world who need shoes and accessories and people, lots of people who our founders and make them. And together we can all learn from each other and there's enough business for everyone. We can all support each other. Amen to that. <laughs> Final question for you, Cheval. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I think it's having a really strong sense of self and expression and knowing you can manifest your own destiny. I say that phrase a lot, but it's because it's true and it, it means so much to me. It's like a sense of direction that's more important than how fast you're going, right? The direction over the speed. But yeah, it's having that profound sense of self and expression in what you're doing and coming back to that as the core and all that you're doing and hoping to achieve. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Where can everyone find you, follow you? And for those that are ready to buy and try on your shoes, where should they head over to do so? And we will link out to everything in the show notes. Of course. So Instagram, good old Instagram. Our handle is at she is Cheval. And my personal, which used to be my podcast account, is all that glitters on the gram. And then we've got our online shop, which is she is Cheval.com. And then for our foundation, we have a girl you might know foundation on Instagram and then a girl you might know foundation.org or a 501c3. Anyone needing legal services or tips on, you know, protecting your business and your creative rights. That's, that's what we're there for. Don't be shy. Email us anytime. And, uh, yeah, that's the shebang pretty much. I'm getting the podcast itch again. I gotta be honest. I've been wanting to oh, yeah. bring it back in You're some ready to capacity. Start up again. I'm going to need to like, we're going to have a, another conversation, but I'm going to be like, what's new in the podcast world? <laughs> we'll share all the things. So thank you again for sharing your story and journey. So excited to continue to follow all of the incredible things you're going to accomplish and launch. And again, thank you for all you do to help other entrepreneurs, our community and beyond. It's truly incredible. And again, so lucky to, to call you a friend. So thank you again for being thank here. You. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.